Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to bring forth Michael Glickman, the author of Crop Circles, The Bones of God. He has been a teacher of architecture and design for years and over the last 20 years has been a crop circle researcher. He's one of the world-renowned people in this area. It's a fascinating area. There's nobody better suited than Michael to explain it to us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Michael Glickman to It's Rainmaking Time. Good afternoon. Well, hello. Thank you for joining us. You are one of the world's crop circle experts. How can you be an expert in the unknown? Exactly. <laughs> That's a great question. How can you be an expert in the unknown? Let's just say that you're one of the people in the world who has spent a great deal of time studying and researching crop circles. One of the things I loved about your book is that it seems like you bring everything into play. Mathematics, cosmology, philosophy, research, psychology, everything you can think of. And I wanted to ask you the first question to open up the subject about crop circles, because a lot of people say, oh, they're man-made phenomenons. Now, I read your book, so I do understand that they're not. But what is this about cognitive dissonance? that seems to happen when people study and research crop circles. Why do people have such cognitive dissonance? Would you explain what it is to the audience? Cognitive dissonance is um, uh, when something happens in the real world which is so unfamiliar, it jars and is unacceptable and simply cannot be allowed to be seen. It is so strange in view of the world view which has been held up to this moment that we're not prepared to shift it to accept the intrusion of an unusual reality. And my favorite example of this is that is heavier than air machines, flying machines. When the Wright brothers flew by a public uh, tram track for four years, um, it was denied. People refused, although this was on public display. Um, it affronted the laws of science. It was an offense to the way the world should be. And so it was denied and denied and denied. Um, when some lunatic came up and suggested that the world could not be flat, it was denied and denied and denied. And we we see this continuously, and the crop circles represent um, a real insult to our worldview, and people deny it. They seek every conceivable method of making excuses. They seek every conceivable method of averting their eyes and pretending it's not there. And indeed, as I mentioned in the book, I think there are two phenomena. Phenomenon one is 
that every season, every summer, we get huge, amazing, elaborate, intricate, articulate, artistic, beautiful forms in the fields. That is breathtaking. Phenomenon, too, is that people ignore it. This is even more breathtaking. This is even more astonishing. And after 20 years, I am more bewildered by Phenomenon 2 than by Phenomenon 1. Does that clarify it? Very clearly. In your book, you say in May and June, you can see crop circles in barley. And in July and August, they come a lot in wheat. You can see it in wheat fields. You're an architect and an engineer and a designer. Obviously, you have to be grounded in reality. You have to have a certain discipline and groundedness to have been trained yeah. in those areas. Yeah. So it's hard for me to think that people would just dismiss your findings and dismiss your 20 years of crop circle research. When we think of Stonehenge, a lot of people think it's beautiful. A lot of people want to go and they're interested. But then there are other people who think that was a setup. But when I read in your book, it said that there were workers in the fields who saw the fields a particular way at one point in the day, and it was totally different later in the afternoon. Yes. And then the guards said it was a particular way at one point in the day, and then in the afternoon it was totally different. They had just appeared. That's impossible if those are man-made. That's impossible. Look, Kim, we've just got to get rid of this absolute nonsense. There are man-made circles every year. Rarely more than five per year in England. They are all screamingly obvious for their poverty of quality, their poverty of design. They might as well have have an amber flashing light in the middle of them. But the man-made hypothesis, which is completely unsustainable by anybody who examines the thing rationally, the man-made hypothesis brings an enormous amount of comfort to many hundreds of people who say, oh, well, we can go and sleep at night. They're all man-made. They are not man-made. And... The the idea that these huge, complex designs could be made by the human beings is completely unsustainable. But there are still people who believe babies are brought by storks or arrive under mulberry bushes. And what can I say if people choose to believe absolutely absurd notions, then bless them, bless them, bless them. But it ain't true. The number of man-made circles is very small and absolutely rotten in comparison with the real thing. So is it kind of like comparing the great artists, the great painters? What you're talking about really are masterpieces of the fields. Absolutely. I mean... One of the things you can state definitively about anybody who says, oh, they're man-made, they're man-made, you just say, oh, thank you very much for that information. Where do you get 
um, your background research from? Have you ever been to a crop circle? Have you ever been to a crop circle conference? Have you ever uh, researched the subject in any depth? Or do you get all your information from tabloid newspapers? Um, you'll find that this is a very comfortable hypothesis for people who know nothing and choose to know nothing. But I would challenge anybody to come here in the summer and walk in one crop circle and say, oh, it's man-made. I was not only an architect, I was a professor of architecture. I know how difficult it is to manifest things, to make things, to construct things in the real world. I could not make a crop circle satisfactorily with any number of resources thrown at me. I don't know how to do it. And I was good at things. I was good at making things and designing things. This is beyond me. Let's talk about the pentagram structures and what you refer to as a golden proportion. There's something in geometry that you're referring to or in physics that has to do with these structures that you're seeing. Could you explain it to us? The golden proportion. Well, it's not to do with physics. It's to do with, um, it's to do with the universe, really. Um, and it's to do with geometry. The golden proportion is an ancient proportion which um, exists in uh, botanical and zoological um, forms. It exists in our body, and it is fundamentally the ratio of 1 to 1.6. My mind is gone. I have here 1.0.618. Is that correct? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. This is a recurring ratio, and it's a ratio which exists in nature. It's an, a ratio which exists in our own bodies, and it's a ratio which has been used by painters and architects uh, for, for centuries because it is somehow very proportionally satisfying to us. And it's also a ratio which exists within the crop circles very often, which is, by definition, embodied in the pentagram or five-pointed star. If I can, let, let me just paint a picture for a moment. A five-pointed star if you look at it in a certain way, has five triangles stuck to the outside of it. The points are, in fact, very specific triangles. Now, those triangles have two long equal sides and one short base side. The base side is the one which is stuck to the central element. So these five star, these five triangles stick out from a five-sided figure at the center. And 
they are isosceles triangles, that is, triangles with two equal sides. The two equal sides are longer, in this case, than the short side. And by definition, the top angle, the angle at the point of the pentagram, and thus the angle at the point of the five triangles making up the pentagram, the angle is 36 degrees. Now, if that angle is 36 degrees, no matter what size the isosceles triangle produced is, the ratio between the long pair of sides and the short side is the golden section or the golden proportion. So that if the long side is one, the short side is 0.618. And um, it's remarkable that this form, this um, five-pointed star, the pentagram, has played such a prominent role in, in our world because it is, it was regarded as magical or magical. Um, it's on um, flags of literally dozens of states. It's on the sides of warplanes. It's uh, known as the Star of Life. It's the star you give to a kid, a gold star you give to a kid who's been very good in class. It's held an enormous amount of importance for us. And in the story of Faust, um, he was told that if he drew a pentagram on the floor and stood in the center of it, he would be guarded from, um, he could guard himself from the devil. Now, in fact, the devil got to him, essentially, because he didn't know how to draw the five-pointed star accurately. So it's, it's a, it has a very profound resonance with humanity. And it's remarkable that here again it's cropping up, cropping up. It's appearing in the crop circles. You also wrote a bit about the pyramids. Why? Well, I look, I, I, I'm not, I, it's not really my area, this. And I, I would rather not go into it in any detail because I, I don't know as much as I should. Um, but, but there was something that you wrote in your book about the pyramids. I just wondered if you could share it. It really had to do with the marvel of geometry. The proportions of the pyramid are of enormous significance. And one of the things that's truly important about the pyramid is that the pyramid squares the circle. The ancients were very concerned about the exercise of squaring the circle, which is um, having having um, 
a square, the perimeter of which, that is, the length of its four sides, should equal the circumference of a circle. Now, the symbolism of this, the squaring of the circle, the making of them as similar as possible, is that traditionally the square has been the symbol of material reality or the world. The square with four corners and four directions is very much a symbol of um, our universal structure. But the circle in many cultures and for many millennia has been regarded as a symbol of heaven or the divine or all that is or God. And thus, in a way, the ability to draw a square with the same outside length as the circumference of a circle was seen as a symbolic approach to a marriage of heaven and earth, to a spiritualization of earth. Now, this has been an ancient, ancient, ancient conundrum. And um, the pyramid, as we know, is very, very precise geometrically. And there are ways to take the form of the pyramid and the geometry of the pyramid and to show that the pyramid also squares the circle. Oh, interesting. The pyramid also is a gesture of a reconciliation between earth and heaven. Now, this squaring the circle idea is... It seems to be a concern of the circle makers because the reference to the squaring of the circle has been um, found in circle designs for 20 years and is becoming more and more articulate now. So this is how uh, one connection that can be made to the pyramid. In the book, you said that Burberry Castle has become an icon, and it's really the start of a new chapter. Why? The, the latest one with the pie. Yes. Yes. Well, um, this this was a very, very elegant and beautiful formation, which um, which which came down um, uh, in '08. 1st of June, 08, in Bali. And crop circles in Bali are extremely beautiful because Bali is very elegant and beautiful crop. Usually, the, the circle is not held in the crop for very long because it tends to grow out more rapidly than, for example, wheat, which will hold a pattern often for weeks. But barley 
will sometimes lose the imprint of the crop circle in some days. On this occasion, um, there was a very, very beautiful um, spiral form, but it wasn't an ordinary spiral, um, uh, like, for example, a clock spring, which from the center wound out uh, consistently until the end. This was a spiral which went through an arc of curvature, stepped outwards, round in an arc, stepped outwards. So it was a jagged spiral or a stepped spiral. And um, what was very intriguing about this formation, when viewed from above, from the hillside or from an aeroplane, it was absolutely beautiful. It was a very, very elegant formation. But there was something um, very deliberate and willful about the position of the step outwards, the jags, the ratchets on this um, enlarging coil. And it was very difficult to understand what was going on there. But there was definitely a communication contained within the geometry. Now, with some research, we found that, um, and it's very difficult to explain without drawings, but we found that um, it was possible by looking at the various geometries involved in this elegant formation that it embodied very accurately uh, the number pi, which is um, the constant which is used for the calculation of circles and spheres and cones and cylinders, indeed every conceivable circular form. I mean, we we use um, for ordinary calculations uh, 22 over 7, which is an approximation of pi, but it is not as accurate as a real decimal number. And in fact, we found that um, the uh, formation encoded pi to 10 decimal points. Well, this was probably the nearest we've ever got to a message. It's my view that most of crop circles are very articulate, but they don't give us messages. They give us communications. But this was so specific, so precise, and so undeniable that it was moving, and I think, I think it was moving the crop circle phenomenon up to another level. So basically, these crop circles are communications 
through mathematics in symbology, correct? Yes. And in a sense, I guess after doing this for 20 years, investigating this and researching this, what do you think the message was of the crop circle you're talking about? Well, I've been looking. We've referred already to the squaring of circle. And it's my view after 20 years that this is one of many, many ideas which are being pushed at us. But it's the idea which I've hooked onto and which I've been promoting for a long time. I believe the crop circles are telling us that there are transformations about to occur which will make the earth more spiritual. That we are shifting our dimension, our consciousness, our density, our vibration towards a greater spirituality. Now, clearly, I I think it's a very good idea. And clearly, I think we need that. But I think one of the ways they communicate it is by the reiteration of the idea of squaring the circle. That's fascinating. Uh, Fascinating. To me, would be far more um, accurate a way of saying it, would be circling the square. Squaring the circle would imply we make heaven the circle squarer or more earthly, which seems to me to be stupid. What we really want to do is to circle the square, make earth more heavenly. Now, if that is a recurrent and increasingly emphasized message, then the placing of pi in a field with such precision and beauty and elegance seems to reinforce it as pi is a necessary constant for the calculation of the relationship between squareness and circularity. Now, having said all this, I've got to say that for me it's only a hypothesis. I don't know what the hell's going on. I've been doing it for 20 years. I can only speak conjecturally. I do not know against which, after 20 years, I think this is quite an interesting conjecture. And I'm going to stick with it for a while. In your book, Crop Circles, The Bones of God, how is it the bones of God, or what made you think of that? Well, I mean, it's there in the beginning that... Um, uh, this um, 17th century Italian geometer, Alessandro Fanucci, um, said geometry uh, could be considered the ossatura di Dio, which means literally the bonework, ossatura, means a sort of bone frame, not a skeleton. 
Um, but I, I've shortened it to Bones of Cod. It seemed to me to be a very poetic um, idea that geometry was the Bones of Cod. And um, certainly the crop circles are very much to do with geometry. And so I borrowed um, and retranslated his statement for my title. I liked it very, very much. Good. I'm glad you do. I really, really do. I really kind of just hit. It leaves the person wanting to read and to find out. Yes. Sacred geometry is what, really? How would you define well, sacred geometry, geometry for us? Geometry is a phrase which is promiscuously thrown about, disgracefully used in the New Age by people who do not understand the difference between geometry and sacred geometry. And it, it pains me the way the phrase sacred geometry is abused. Um, what we have to start with is an acceptance of the fact that we live in a world which is governed by geometry. Um, motor cars could not exist without geometry. Buildings could not exist without geometry. Furniture could not exist without geometry. Nothing which is manufactured could exist without geometry. But uh, one would hardly um, uh, maintain that an F-16 fighter plane is sacred. I get that. So we need to be very specific about deciding where sacred geometry lies. Now, the great master, John Michel, he died last year, at one point said, everything is sacred. A motor car is sacred. A cinema chair is sacred. Uh, we cannot make divisions about it. And this is one extreme position to take. My position is slightly more particular, and I would say that sacred geometry is that geometry which attempts to symbolize a link between the material and the spiritual. There must be an intent within the mind of the geometer to build some kind of bridge between heaven and earth. He's not simply designing a table. That's a fascinating translation. I like it. Good. You can use it. It will certainly present it on the show. <laughs> I agree that sacred geometry is used all over the place, and it's really thrown around. And that's why I asked you, in your experience, it's in your view, what it is. It's thrown around and is trivialized and is debased. And um, I, I think for all things which are truly sacred, they need to be treated with discretion and respect and discernment. And um, I fear that the phrase sacred geometry has been corrupted in the last years by people who 
not only don't understand it, but fundamentally have no intention of trying to understand it either. Can you explain what the environment is like walking into a crop circle or around a crop circle? Is it electrically charged? Um, yeah, well, people tell me it is. I've, I've never felt that directly. Um, I mean, I, we're all different people. You know, we're all different beings. I have many friends in crop circle studies who are able simply to approach a formation and to feel through their bodies the level of, of physical energy in there. Um, they, they are enormously sensitive to the physical energy. I cannot do this. I I work through my eyes and everything I've learned from crop circles has come from looking and seeing and staring. And I feel very little when I go in, which is not to say, I mean, during the early 90s, we used to get what we call zaps from the circles. And I received um, sequentially, I think, in 92, 93, and 94, I received a, a zap in each of those years, um, which was very, very uncomfortable. What does that mean um, when you say a zap? And that was simply from walking in and walking out. So having said that I don't feel the energies, I was certainly hit very hard by the energies at that time. And indeed, the over those three years, um, I was affected more and more seriously. And by the third occasion, it was, it, I was ill for over a week. Now, one of the things that was very interesting was that I went into, I didn't even go into the final circle, which got me in 94. Um, I simply stood on uh, a rise overlooking it and stared at it for a long, long time, longer than I would normally do because the person I was with was taking photographs. So I suppose I was exposed to radiant energy for a longer period than I would have liked. I was very, very ill by the time I got home. And in the morning, I felt fine. But by midday, the illness had come back. I felt very queasy. And that evening, I had a friend. Um, I had an appointment with a friend who was coming over for dinner, John Martino, who's one of the pioneers of crop circle research and an amazing geometer. 
but also a man who who has always been extremely sensitive to the energies. Now, by the evening, I was on my feet again, but wasn't feeling good. He he rang on the door. I went to the door and opened it, and he literally staggered back and said, Boy, did they get you! He could feel the energy off me that I had absorbed the day before. So do you think, given that that has happened, that we are welcomed into them, or we're supposed to stay at the periphery and look? I think we're we're certainly welcomed into them. I mean, the cases, those sort of cases used to be commonplace in the early 90s. They're much, much rarer now. In fact, I've not heard of one for years. And um, above all, I think the circles are enormously welcoming. I think they very much want us to come in. There are very, very few occasions these days when people feel ill. And indeed, whenever they have felt ill, um, the recovery is usually fairly quick. What are your biggest challenges right now in your life? My biggest, personally. Personally or professionally or both? Well, my biggest challenge is that I've got multiple sclerosis. And on uh, Monday, I'm going, I'm flying to Bulgaria to um, have a procedure, a revolutionary procedure, which I believe will cure me. Wow. That is a bit of a challenge, <laughs> actually. Imagine having, having suffered with this for 20 years. Um, I'm against the advice of conventional medicine. I've found a place where I can get treated. And um, I'm going to get treated. And if anything encourages me beyond belief of the brilliance of this treatment, it is the transports of horror that the conventional medical establishment has greeted this breakthrough with. And there we are, cognitive dissonance again, you see. A medical establishment has said for years multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disease of unknown origin. And a professor of cardiology in um, Italy uh, has sorted out the cause and the cure of MS and boy, oh boy, oh boy, does the medical establishment hate the idea of being able to cure people. That's for sure. I just did an interview with Dr. Tulio Simancini, who figured out that if you inject sodium bicarbonate into tumors or into the main oh. artery feeding the tumors, that you can disappear the tumor completely within a week. He's treated brain cancer, every type of cancer, and they're after him all over the world. It's so tragic. It's so tragic. But these cures are there. I think it's so exciting you're going to Bulgaria. I find it very interesting that the kind 
of blind refusal to look at the crop circles, which I've been wrestling with for 20 years, is exactly the same kind of blind refusal to look at um, a promising new treatment for a, a disease which has blighted people's lives for hundreds of years. I mean, if you went to doctors and said, what, what, what if we had something which would simply eliminate MS? Wouldn't that be great? They would all say, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. But when it's actually delivered, they close ranks. They want to stick to the world the way it was, and they don't want to face the world the way it might be. And the parallels between um, the crop circle, which are like a wrestling match, the crop circles have been wrestling with um, the world consciousness for 20 years and getting getting nowhere. And I find suddenly that this thing with multiple sclerosis is another wrestling match. And I'm very closely involved with both. I'm writing a book about the parallels of these two circumstances. How long will you be in Bulgaria for your treatment? Oh, it's a very simple treatment. I'll only be there for three days, four days. Wow. The treatment itself um, lasts 45 minutes and is doesn't need a full anesthetic. And other people that you've heard about have been cured from MS? That's remarkable. Yeah. I mean, look, if you've had MS for 20 years, you are going to bear the metaphorical scars for a long time. You lose muscle, you lose habits of walking, habits of movement, uh, dexterity. And so I cannot expect, and indeed nobody expects, uh, a full magic cure. You know, I don't think anybody expects that they will simply with a wave of a magic wand be uh, transformed into uh, an Olympic athlete. But um, if I can simply get my balance back, if I can simply walk a bit better, if I can simply lose um, the tremor in my right hand, this is a blessing. And um, for dozens of people, this has happened. there was one woman who'd been blind in her left eye as a result of MS who regained the sight in her eye during the procedure. Wow. So I am very optimistic. We're very excited for you because we don't think that it's time for you to go bye-bye. We think it's time for you to get some healing and to be able to continue your life and work. Well, I, I'm certainly not going to go bye-bye for a few hours, but I'm looking forward to my return from Bulgaria. (laughs) I hope I'll be tapped.
dancing. <laughs> I know that you have a website called CropCircleReporter.com that yes. you and Gary King post your information and videos on. It's a very informative site. Talk to us a little bit about Gary King. Gary is um, a remarkable man. He's um, he's worked in, in law, among other things. He's also um, worked very professionally in African drumming. He's an African drumming teacher. He's also worked um, in martial arts. And he's now uh, a full-time crop circle researcher and works with me on the site. And um, he also, um, in the summer, uh, is a tour guide and takes people around the formations, which is something he does with great skill. Um, and what we are concerned with on the site is simply offer hard information with openness and integrity and judgment and discernment. Um, there is so much nonsense and dispute around the crop circles, um, stemming largely from the widespread promotion of the man-made hypothesis, which is uh, superficial and hollow and discredited idea. And we take a position of simply looking at the formations on the ground. Gary um, walks around the formations on the ground with um, a video camera and describes the quality of the formation and its lay on the ground. And I tend to unpick the formation geometrically and to look at the way it has been constructed um, as a manifestation of form and shape in the material world. And we do this all directly to camera so um, while it is on the computer it is very much uh, it's much more like a television experience or we hope it is Now you have tea time don't you crop circle tea time I won't. I've got a nice deck outside in my garden and by appointment I welcome groups um, to to visit, and they spend um, three hours here, and we offer them tea and cookies, and we talk about the crop circles in some detail. Well, I'm very much looking forward to joining you. Oh, it's, it, sure, you know, you'd be welcome. I mean, these groups, um, I can handle groups from six to 30 individuals, Um but I'm obviously prepared to talk to anybody. Gary, likewise, handles groups um, from, I guess, two to about ten. Um, so we're both here, and we work very closely together during the summer 
to try and spread the word of these miracles. I'm so happy that you have come on the show to share about your work and crop circles and to explain and give a frame of reference for us so we can better understand these phenomenon and the elegance of them. I hope that you will come back and join us as well. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? The only thing I want to share is what I always have to share. I believe the crop circles are not only the most breathtaking miracle on the surface of the earth, at the moment, but they are probably the most astonishing miracle on the surface of the earth for many centuries. And I would urge all your listeners to sell their shares and stocks and to sell their cars and to sell their houses and to get over here next summer because it's the most important thing they could see in this lifetime. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to join me, I'm going to go see Michael Glickman and his associate next summer, and we're going to have crop circle tea time, and we're going to learn about the crop circles from Gary King and Michael Glickman. Michael, the author of Crop Circles, The Bones of God, thank you so much, and we're holding the energy for you to be able to have a complete healing from your treatment in Bulgaria, and we look forward to talking with you upon your return. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you for having me. God bless you. It's been a pleasure. For us, too.